0: Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. In the fiction world of comics, TV, books, and film, there's a technique that's often used called a crossover. And so a crossover is the placement of two or more otherwise discrete fictional characters, settings, or universes into the context of a single story. In other words, a crossover is when two fictional worlds collide. Now the simplest type of crossover happens on shows like Law and Order, CSI, NCIS, where they take characters from the multiple versions of the shows and they put them into like one episode at the end of the season to like get people really excited about it. Right now there are like 12 shows on NBC. They're all called Chicago something and the characters are constantly like crossing over into the other episodes. Now, these, are, these types of crossovers feel normal, right? Like, there's CSI, LA. I don't actually watch CSI, so I don't know. CSI Miami, is that a thing? Vegas, New York, LA, Frederick. Like, they mash all these things up, and then they have, like, one episode. And these kind of feel normal, right? Because, like, the characters are the same, the lingo is the same, the plot's the same. But there have also been some crossovers that are just bizarre, the Simpsons and Family Guy had a two-series crossover event a few seasons ago. I'm a huge Simpsons fan, and I watched this. It was trash. It was awful. It was not funny. But like, everyone wanted to see like, what these worlds colliding would look like. The show Supernatural had a crossover with Scooby-Doo, which was super weird because the human characters on Supernatural ended up being animated into the Scooby-Doo universe. And back in the day, maybe some of you remember this, X-Files had a crossover episode with Cops. It was so weird, it was like the live action of cops, but it was like X-Files characters. It's even seen in video games like Super Smash Brothers where a bunch of Nintendo characters fight in a battle royale type style. They all have different universes and worlds, but they come together to destroy each other. Um, there's even a comic, and this is the weirdest one, where uh, a comic book called Archie, and there's a comic where Archie meets Punisher. And so there's this mashup of this like, normal Archie character and Punisher, um, it's, a, it's a real thing. Now, these crossovers are all great, but the greatest crossover of all time happened in 1987 in the form of a movie called A Muppet Family Christmas. This is the best picture I could find online, it's that old. How many of you, did any of you guys watch that movie? Some people, it's like folklore, like some people don't even think it's real, it's real and it's awesome. Uh, People ask me all the time what my favorite part about Christmas is, and it's that movie. Uh, This is my favorite part about Christmas, it's the greatest Christmas movie of all time. It's right above Home Alone and Die Hard, and you can't change my mind about that. And this movie, it's incredible, A Muppet Family Christmas is about 45 minutes long, and throughout the movie they play or sing parts of over 20 Christmas songs. Then the movie, Fozzie Bear and the Muppets are spending Christmas at Fozzie's mom's house when a snowstorm hits. And as they're waiting out the storm, a group of carolers arrive, and it's the characters from Sesame Street. Like, imagine being a kid and, like, watching this happen, and, like, your head's about to explode with awesomeness. With the snow continuing to come down, it it traps all of them in the house. And so they sing songs, they perform a pageant, they watch old home videos to kill time. And while this is happening, Kermit and his nephew Robin actually find a fraggle hole and the fraggles are down there and they sing one wonderful song called Pass It On. The whole thing is absolutely insane. Uh, I love it, like I want my children to love it. I want you to love it. And so it's on YouTube and you can watch it. Just Google it, it's there. I probably watched it five times this week, I'm not lying at all but you should watch this this week well especially if you haven't seen it before it'll change your life so this movie being one of my favorites like anytime Christmas comes around this is something that I love to watch or even even think about and last year as we were gearing up for our Christmas series one of the songs that our band wanted to play was a song called I Heard the Bells and my mind immediately went to a Muppet Family Christmas because at the end of this movie, there's a 10-minute medley of Christmas music, and Statler and Waldorf sing a verse from the song, I Heard the Bells. Statler and Waldorf are the grumpy balcony guys, right? Which, to be honest, I want to be that when I'm older. Uh, that's not important for the sermon. That's just a goal that I have in my life. But in a Muppet family Christmas, these guys sing a portion of I Heard the Bells, and it's, it's just not great. It's slow. It's boring. It actually stands out in the medley because of how bad it is. And that's all I could think about when the band asked, can we play this song during our Christmas series? And so with that in mind, like I told them no, like I'm thinking of two grumpy guys like singing this really boring song. But Maggie, who is singing today, told me to listen to it again and to give it a chance. And so that's what I did. And so last Christmas, sitting at my dining room table with my wife, we listened to this song. I heard the bells while reading the lyrics to the song. And if I'm being honest, like, I would tell you, the song hit me really hard. Uh, in fact, I couldn't stop crying, which apparently is a normal part of my life now. Um, side note, I was talking to one of my friends the other day, and he said he cries all the time now, and he blames it on having kids. And I completely agree, because my stone-cold heart isn't what it used to be anymore. But my emotion when listening to this song was less about, you know, the feelings of being a dad and more about just how real the words felt. Because here's this song that I knew existed— I'd heard it before, I even knew some of the lyrics, but I had no idea just how powerful that song was. And so most of you, you've heard this song before, maybe you sang it before, specifically before today, but it isn't a song that many of us could sing by heart, right? Like we couldn't sing it with our eyes closed. If you are here last year, we sang it one time, but I would guess that even when you sang it in the first set of songs that our band just did, the words didn't fully sink in. And so that's why we're going to talk about it today. We're going to dig into the song and the story behind I Heard the Bells. Now, I Heard the Bells was a poem written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Longfellow is often considered America's greatest poet. And 120 years after his death, he's still a giant in literature, and many consider his work inspiring and uplifting. We still really say you all read some of his work when you were in 7th or 8th grade English Lit. Now, Longfoot fellow was born in 1807 in Portland, Maine, and started school at the age of three. By six, he was already reading classical literature and writing stories. At the age of 19, he graduated college and was given the position of professor of modern language at Bowdoin College. In this role, he not only got to teach, but in the summer, they paid him to travel all throughout Europe. By 22, he wrote his own textbooks. By 22, I was about to graduate college, and I would barely opened mine, so there you go. If you're wondering if we're on the same level, we're not. Me and Longfellow, not equals. He got married at the age of 24. By 27, he was already viewed as one of the country's most respected scholars and he was hired at Harvard. With a wonderful wife, a dynamic reputation, and a job that allowed him to afford a beautiful house overlooking the Charles River, Henry seemed to have it all. He had found wealth and worldwide fame, and while living, he was while living. This is what's important: while living, he was thought of as being one of the greatest writers ever produced by the New World. This didn't take 120 years. While he was alive, people believed that he was one of the greatest writers of all time. And when going through the highlights of his life, it looks wonderful. And even though it's the 1800s, it's really easy to be jealous of him. Longfellow was a genius. He was well-known and highly revered. He was married to the love of his life who was also his childhood sweetheart. He worked his dream job. He got paid to travel. He was wealthy. He had it all. The highlights of his life look really good, but that's exactly what they are. They're just highlights. Now, how much does this sound like the Instagram culture that we live in today? You know, especially right now. And I do this and you do this, but we post pictures of our happy family standing in front of a tree. We post pictures of the ornaments that bring back the warm and fuzzies. We post pictures of a cup of hot chocolate while watching cheesy Hallmark movies. But these are just highlights, and what we aren't willing to show people is just how messy our life is. What we're not willing to show people is just how much pain we are living or just how broken we feel. So for Longfellow, everything looked good on the outside. He had a great life that was enviable, but what very few people knew was the pain that Longfellow was living in. There was a ton of sorrow in his life. This is why Longfellow wrote in a separate poem, he wrote, Believe me, every man has his secret sorrows which the world knows not. And oftentimes we call a man cold when he is only sad. Longfellow wrote this. He's talking about himself. He knew what it was like to be down and forlorn. And 150 years later, so many of us understand exactly what the sentiment is. We understand what that feels like, especially right now, because we all have our secret sorrows and our secret pain. You know, the picture of your family in front of the tree shows smiling faces, but you don't want people to know that your marriage will be lucky to make it through 2019. The picture of your ornaments shares stories of your childhood, but you don't want people to know that they are constant reminders of the father who walked out on your family. The picture of the Hallmark movies gets a reaction on Facebook, but you watch them because it's a way to escape your life. You watch them because it's a way to celebrate a happy ending, even though you don't think a happy ending is possible in your own life. And we show people our highlight reel, and it looks good, but what we are doing is we are hiding the pain that we feel. I think that's why this Christmas season brings so much conflict to our life. It's a season where we talk about joy, and it's a season where we talk about hope, and it's a season where we talk about peace, but we aren't really sure those things are real because the brokenness in our life begs to differ. This is exactly why Longfellow wrote this song, I Heard the Bells. On December 25th of 1863, he sat down to write his famous poem, and this is how he began. This is what he wrote in verse 1. He wrote, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth." Goodwill to men. And continues in verse two till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth. Goodwill to men. So Longfellow begins his poem by writing about the bells from a local church that he can hear from his house. And as he sits, he can hear them playing the carols that we all love to sing, that we all love to play, that we all love to love. They sing of peace on earth. They sing of goodwill to men. They are wild and sweet. They are sublime. They are uplifting and they are joyful. In each line, he finishes with the phrase, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And this comes from the story of Jesus' birth in the book of Luke. After an angel announces the birth to a group of shepherds, the skies open up and a choir of angels sing, glory to God in the highest. And peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And so this poem, the first two stanzas are uplifting. They reference an army of angels celebrating the birth of Jesus. They sing of a Christmas season. But this is typically where the song ends on TV shows. This is where the song ends in commercials. Because we love the idea of waking up on Christmas morning and hearing the carols that we know and love. Right? That's the warm and fuzzies. That's what we want from this season. But in Longfellow's poem, verse 3 then takes a depressing turn. One author puts it this way, While most Christmas verses are light and uplifting, America's greatest poet set his lyrical ode in tones that were largely dark and solemn. This is in reference to verse 3, and this is what Longfellow wrote. He wrote, And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace, peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And so as Longfellow sits listening to the bells play, he hears songs about joy. He hears songs about hope. He he hears songs about families coming together. He hears songs about peace on earth and goodwill to men. And he is hit with despair because he doesn't really believe that this world has peace. He bows his head in shame because hate has triumphed over love. He's sitting in his house on Christmas morning when he realizes that the carols all sing of a false reality. their highlights. You see, Longfellow had experienced tragedy after tragedy in his life. Within a year of his move to Massachusetts to work at Harvard, his wife miscarried, and she was six months pregnant. Just a few weeks after that, she actually died from the complications. And for seven years, for seven years, he mourned the loss of his wife. Eventually, he remarried, and he and his wife welcomed five children into their home, but tragedy struck again. In 1861, while lighting a match, Longfellow's second wife's clothes caught on fire, and she burned to death while he slept in the other room. Then, even before he could regain his stride, his faith was challenged by the Civil War. Longfellow hated the Civil War, and it tore at his very being to see the United States of America divided by the greed and sinful nature of man. He was an ardent believer in the power of God to move on earth, and the poet all but pleaded with his Lord to end the madness of the war. It only got worse when his oldest son Charles was wounded in battle and sent home to recover. He was nearly paralyzed. The poet's prayers turned to rage. As Henry tended his son's injuries, he saw other wounded soldiers and visited families who had lost their sons in battle, and he began to ask his friends and God, Where's the peace? He was angry. He was sad. He was disappointed. He was heartbroken, and there are moments in our lives, and maybe you are actually in that moment right now, where we ask that question, where is the peace? There are moments in our life when we take a step back, and we are wondering where God is, because we look around us, and we see that this world is really broken, or we look into our own lives and realize that we have brokenness, and so what we do is we cry out to God, where is the peace? And when we ask that question, what we're really doing is we're asking, where is God? Because when we take a step back and look at the world, it doesn't take long for us to realize that something isn't right. Something's broken. Something is not right with the world that we live in. And so we ask, where is God? We ask, where is God as wildfires rage through California, leaving 91 dead and 27,000 people displaced? We ask, where is God when Hurricane Florence leaves 42 dead in the Carolinas? We ask, where is God when an Indonesian earthquake and tsunami leaves 844 dead and most of us didn't even hear about that? Where is God? Where is God when a man entered a bar and killed 12 people, including a police officer, before turning the gun on himself? Where is God when a man opened fire in the Tree of Life synagogue in an anti-Semitic attack, killing 11 people and injuring six others? Where is God when a former student opened fire in a school, killing 17 people and wounding 17 others? Where is God? Let's make this personal. It's another Christmas, and the only gift you want is the gift of a child, but you can't get pregnant, and you are wondering, where is God? And just over a week, you're going to wake up and your kids are going to have a split Christmas because of a divorce. How do you celebrate the birth of Jesus when the pain is palpable? The cancer has come back. You lost your job. Your children have turned their backs on you and Jesus and are making destructive decisions. And so what you do is you hang your head. You say there is no peace on earth. There is no goodwill toward men. This world mocks the song that the angels first sang of joy because how can we celebrate a season of hope, a season of joy, a season of peace when there's so much pain. There's a story in the book of Mark. And it isn't a Christmas story, but it resonates. And there's a father whose son has seizures and he believes that his son is demon possessed. So he brings him to Jesus because he needs help. His son is in pain. He falls to the floor. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth. He becomes rigid. And so he needs Jesus to intervene. And this is what happens in Mark 9. Jesus says, bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into a fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. You can feel the desperation in the father's voice. Since the moment his son was born, there was pain. There's physical pain for his son, emotional pain for the father, and he begs Jesus to take pity on him and help him. And this story is about a father at the end of his rope. This is about a father who doesn't know where else to turn. He approaches Jesus because he heard there were rumors he could perform miracles. This wasn't because he was believing in him. It wasn't because he saw it for himself. He thought, I have nowhere else to go. I might as well bring him to Jesus. Maybe he can do something. Either way, he knew it was worth a shot because he was desperate. And so he says to Jesus, if you can help Please help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Now I love this father's honesty. I love that he says, Help me overcome my unbelief. Because he is desperate for his son to be healed, but he is skeptical. He's looking at his son, he's looking at the world around him, and he sees brokenness, and he's wondering, where is God? Even standing before God himself, he's still not sure. And so what he's saying, he's saying, show me, please, that there is hope. Show me, please, that there is joy. Help me see it. And this is exactly how Longfellow felt. He looked at the world around him. He looked at the pain he was feeling, and he doesn't want to sing songs pretending that everything is okay because that isn't the reality. That isn't his reality, and for many of you, that's not your reality. He wants to see God. For Longfellow, it isn't unbelief in God. It's unbelief that goodness exists, and that's what he longs for. And so many of you feel this way. You trust that God exists, but you are having trouble believing that what he promised is real, that hope is real and joy is real. And if that was where Longfellow ended his poem, none of us would blame him. Knowing his story, we certainly understand how he'd end at verse 3 and just conclude it. It certainly wouldn't be a Christmas carol, or at least it would be thought of as the worst and most depressing Christmas carol of all time. But if he ended his poem in despair because the world around him is a mess, we would understand that. But that isn't the end of the poem in the same way it isn't the end of his story, in the same way it isn't the end of your pain. Verse 4 says this, and this is the most powerful verse in the whole poem. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. Oh, God's not dead and not asleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. You know, it would have been a poem completely void of hope, but Longfellow knows of a savior. Longfellow knows that even though he is in pain, God will prevail, that he will be victorious. Longfellow has hope because he knows what it says in Isaiah 25.8. It says, he will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all the faces. He knows what it says in John 16.33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He knows what it says in 1 John 5, 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. He knows what it says in John 1, 5. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Longfellow understands that God will conquer death, that God will overcome the world, that he will be victorious over pain, that he will bring light to the darkness. This is what the Savior came to do. That is what the Father experiences when he brings his son to Jesus in Mark 9. Jesus says, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. This is the part of the story where the father hangs his head in despair. This is when the father looks at Jesus, who has claimed to be the son of God, and he looks right at him and he wonders, where is God? Because right now in this moment, he thinks his son has died. He thinks the life has been taken from him at the hands of this other person. So he's wondering, where is God? but the story isn't over yet. And here's the best part, Mark 9, verse 27. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and he stood up. I don't know what you are going through right now. I don't know the pain you are feeling. I don't know the questions you are asking God or the darkness that you feel, the hopelessness that you wake up with and go to bed dreading. But what I do know is Jesus wants to take you by the hand and help you to your feet. I do know that the right will prevail and the wrong will fail because there's a Savior who was born and lived a perfect life so he could pay the debt our sin creates and then he rose from the grave to conquer death and conquer sin and conquer all that pain we have in our lives. And that teaches us that the words and the promises that Jesus makes are true. And I heard the bells. This is a very personal song. It wasn't commissioned. It wasn't written for other people. It was written out of brokenness that Longfellow was experiencing on a Christmas morning. With its plea for sanity in a world gone mad, it brings hope that in our deepest pain, Jesus will overcome. He lost a child, but he still had hope. He lost the love of his life, but he still had hope. He lost the mother of his children, but he still had hope. He was living in a country full of hate and racism and oppression, but he still had hope. But his hope didn't come from his job or his wealth or his stature as a writer. It didn't even come from the people in his life because they were constantly breaking his heart. His hope came from the fact that Jesus is alive. His hope came from the fact that Jesus raised from the dead in order to prove that God would prevail. So when Jesus said he would wipe away every tear, we know that it's true. When Jesus said he would overcome the world, we know that it's true. When Jesus said the darkness would not defeat the light, we know that it's true. And so even though the world was falling apart around him, even though he had been through pain, he had hope because God is not dead and not asleep. The birth of Jesus brought hope into this world. It brought peace into this world. It brought joy into this world. And his resurrection proved that it was real. Last Christmas, um, we had two services, just like we are this year. We had a Christmas Eve Eve and a Christmas Eve service. But Christmas Eve last year was on a Sunday morning, so we actually had a 10.30 service. And so, like most Sundays at Collective, I went to the lobby to meet people after service. And as I was staying there, a, a woman who had come alone, who I'd never met before, came right up to me, beeline straight to me, and buried her head in my chest, and she was weeping. I didn't know what to do, and I'm a pretty awkward human being, so I just hugged her. This complete stranger, after a few deep breaths, she picked up her head and she told me her story. It was her first Christmas in 50 years that she wasn't going to be able to celebrate with her husband just a few months before he had passed away after a grueling battle with Alzheimer's. She told me that the last few years had been the hardest years of her life because while, she, while he looked like her husband, his memories had faded and he was no longer the man he had married, she had married. I remember her vividly saying that there was nothing more painful than watching her husband's brain be slowly destroyed because with that went the memories, the relationship and the joy that was tied to both of those things. I really didn't know how to respond, so I asked her how she ended up at Collective because I was hoping to figure out how we as a church could care for her and care for her family. But she actually told me she was from Georgia and she was in Frederick visiting family for Christmas. And for some reason, she woke up on Christmas Eve with the overwhelming feeling that she needed to go to church. And she hadn't been in four years. She and her husband used to serve together, sing together, pray together, so going to church didn't make much sense anymore. She also lived constantly for four years wondering, where is God? But for some reason, she felt like she needed to be in church, so she Googled churches and found Collective. And she told me, even though she was in pain, and even though each day was a struggle, and even though she wished that none of this never happened, she knew that she'd be okay because no matter what she was going through, there was hope because of her faith in Jesus even if it wasn't exactly where she wanted her relationship to be, or even though she hadn't been to church in a while, she knew that she would be okay. That her hope and her joy and her peace didn't come from this world, but from a God who loves her. And she then hugged me again and walked out the doors, and I never saw her again. But her words have stuck with me. For so many of you, Christmas is a constant reminder that this world is not what you need it to be. That this this world is not what you hope it would be that this world is not what you want it to be. It's a few weeks where you can pretend to be happy, but then reality crushes you and hits you like a ton of bricks when you pack up the lights, you take down the tree, and 2019 begins. Maybe some of you even sing Christmas songs and you're like Longfellow. You take a step back and you realize there is no peace. There is no goodwill. This world, goodwill, this world is messed up. If you're a follower of Jesus and are looking around you and you are feeling beat down by life, that's understandable, life is hard. Hundreds of years later, Longfellow, after Longfellow wrote this poem, there's still racism. There's still oppression. There's still hatred. There's still people whose sole goal in life is to hurt others, but the right will prevail. Don't give up hope. And so when you wonder, where is God? You know that he is not dead, and he is not asleep. And you know that peace on earth doesn't come through man. It won't come through us. Rather, it comes through the power of Jesus, and that's where your hope should lie. Your hope should not lie in this world, but in a Savior who was born. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, the only way that you can have true hope is to put your faith in him and let God overcome. Your story doesn't have to end after verse 3. It doesn't have to end in despair. Don't close out the story before God can redeem the pain and brokenness in your life. It doesn't mean that all the bad things will go away, right? That's a lie, (laughs) Life is hard. Bad things will continue to happen. Jesus says, there will be trouble in this world. What it does mean, though, is that your hope is found in him and not in this world. Your hope is found in Jesus. Your joy is found in Jesus. Your peace is found in Jesus. But you won't feel that until you fully submit to him and let him save you just like he promised he would do. And if you're ready to do that, if the lights and the trees and the carols all leave you feeling like something is missing from your life, specifically during this season, it's because something is. It's a faith in a God who will prevail. And if you are in that place and you are feeling and you wake up every morning wondering what is going on in this world, it's because your hope and your peace and joy are found in something that will always deteriorate and always fall apart. And so for us, we want nothing more for you to take that step and put your faith in Jesus and your hope in Jesus and your joy in Jesus so that you can see him overcome those things in your life. We have a few people in January that are going to start off the year the right way. They're going to take that step. They're going to get baptized, and we'd love for you to take that step with them. If you're in that place, you can check it off on your connection card or come talk to me after service. But at the end of the day, if you're wondering why your life is so broken and what's going on and why this pain you feel, you've got to look and figure out where your hope comes from. Because it comes from you or your job or the people around you, it'll fall apart. But if it comes from Jesus, it'll stand true. In this season, we sing songs about joy and hope and peace and life and love and whatever it may be, not because of lights or gifts or trees, but because the birth of Jesus brought hope to a fallen world. His resurrection proved that he prevailed. prevail. And that's why we sing the song, and that's why we have hope, because God's not dead and not asleep, and he will prevail. Let's pray. God, uh, so many of us wake up every day with pain, Um, pain from broken relationships, pain from past experiences in our life that have left wounds and scars, pain from the people around us, pain from our own decisions. God, it's really easy for us to hang our heads and to be in despair and lose all hope and lose all joy, but God, we know that if we focus on you, we'll find the right kind of hope. We'll find true joy. So God, I just pray for everybody here that's struggling right now in this season, is struggling right now as as Christmas is a little bit over a week away, as they're wondering what is going on in their life, why is it so hard, why is there so much pain? God, I just pray that everybody here can turn their attention toward you and find real hope in you. Not in this world, not in this world that will fall apart, that will disappoint us, that will always fall short of what we need or what we want, but in you who will never let us down. God, we're thankful for people like Longfellow who would write songs that aren't just highlights. God, we love the highlights, but really uh, we love songs that can talk to us and speak our language and, and we can understand what it's like to have pain and what it's like to have hope. God, I pray that no matter what pain we're going through this season, that we can find hope in you. And God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.